Welcome back everyone, welcome back to the Lawcast. I'm Chris Deesenthal and this is Melanie Thorley, we're both here from MJT Law. I'm here for another podcast. Once again. Yes, uh, back in our old space, it's yes. uh, so good. Um, but this week, a uh, new case kind of came out, Ooh. which, old legal principle, but it's always kind of good to see it re-emerge. <laughs> uh, and it's around drug and alcohol testing. <laughs> okay. Um, I was talking about that this morning with a client. Well, there you go. Um, so there was a, a lady, she's a salesperson for a company that um, sells basically building equipment to construction sites and things okay. like that. Yeah. Uh, it's in the Gold Coast. And um, she, they have a absolute zero tolerance policy on drugs and alcohol. They being the business? Yeah. Right. The business has... She worked for, not the construction sites, why I assume would also have zero tolerance. Yeah, I, and I suspect that the reason they've got a zero tolerance is because some of their people would have to go onto site. That um, makes sense. And so they've got a, they've got a uniform policy yep. that says that they can test at all times. <laughs> um, and... Uh, if you have a black alcohol of anything, you're offside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Including, and she's a salesperson, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. she never goes on site, but she's in, in the company. Okay. I've um, got a whole pile of questions, like does she drive a company car and so on and so forth, but let's keep moving She, she doesn't, by the way. This was oh, explored. It came up? She okay. is, uh, even want to put her a pure office worker. Mm, okay. Um, and this particular company had a really big issue, must have had a really big issue, because in one of their sites, uh, in six months prior, they had um, fired 19 people <laughs> for this offence, uh, which equates to about 90% of that particular office. Wow. 90%. Um, but wow. as part of their policy, if you refused to um, provide a sample, yeah. and it was a urine sample, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's presumed to be positive. Okay. Um, and. So, naturally, as you can probably imagine, uh, she turns up and they're doing a blitz. You know, they've got the van out the front and you know, whatever. <laughs> she didn't just drive away again? <laughs> she did not. She did not. Uh, so, she, she turns up and freezes. Um, and she says it's on uh, that she's got a medical condition. She's got a urinary tract infection and she doesn't want to do it. Um, and requests a swab test instead. Mm-hmm. And the, because you know they subcontract these like testing things, it's not the actual mm. company. Um, and the, the company said, no, we can't do swab testing because uh, it doesn't account for substance abuse. So I'm not, and, I, and I'm not proposed to be an expert in this. We're just going to assume that's true for the for the purposes. Yeah, one yeah. is more accurate for these present purposes than yeah. others. Um, so she, she made the argument that, um, you know, she wants to be swab tested um, and the company did, I actually think gave her quite a lot of leniency. Okay. They uh, said to her, that's fine, you stood down um, and you just need to provide a sample within the next seven days. Right. At her own volition with her own doctor. Right. Which is... So no swab test, Still but a urine sample test. at some point in the next seven days. You, you've been paid to go, you're paid, stood down. Go see a doctor, provide a sample at mm-hmm. any time. Okay. You've got a whole week. Okay. okay. She continually refuses. <laughs> For the same reason, like it, it's a continual kind of um, sort of story. And naturally, she gets fired. Um, 
<laughs> and she ran a few arguments. Uh, one was that the, basically it's whether the direction was lawful and reasonable. Um, because I suppose her views there, she was fired for um, refusing to comply with a lawful and reasonable direction. Yeah. Which as we know, serious yeah. misconduct. Serious misconduct. Yeah. Here we go. Unfair dismissal? Yes. Okay, so she's filed an unfair dismissal. Yes. It's gone all the way to a hearing. All the way to a hearing? Um, unrepresented, as you can probably imagine. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so she, she's run a few arguments. Uh, one was that it wasn't reasonable because she was a salesperson and she didn't go onto site, etc. And the other one was um, that she uh, that she didn't actually refuse the direction. Uh, more so that she just elected to take the right to be tested in a different way. Um, so she she lost. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I suppose it goes the, without saying. She lost. Um, and it was a few things. It yeah. was the fact that um, the actual testing itself is pretty well understood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, just because she's an office worker didn't mean it was any more. You know, more or less lawful or reasonable. Yeah. Um, and they make note of the fact that office workers have just as much um, workplace health and safety mm, risks mm, um, mm, for being mm. over the limit. Yeah. There's also financial risks, yeah. uh, like liability risks for the, mm -hmm. the company. Um, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're under the influence and you're making decisions on behalf of the company, yep. you know, you're going to find yourself into trouble. Um, but as yeah. for the electing to kind of that she didn't actually refuse to comply. Yes, yes. Um, basically, it was an interesting point that the, the judge, uh, the commissioner said was, it wasn't so much the first time, it was refusing time and time again. The fact that she had um, a week to do it and mm. they asked her a number of times mm. to do it and mm. she kept refusing it. So the argument she made that she was asking, she wasn't saying no, she just wasn't saying, she was saying not in this way, yeah. didn't fly. Didn't fly. One of the things was policy itself, and this always, I know we bang on it about this a lot, mm. but the importance of well-written policy, the policy didn't give her that right. Right. It actually, it, it, it like certain the way we write that particular policy, yeah. which is, Although they can pick and choose how to do mm. it, but it's really on the employer's yeah. rights to yeah. pick and choose how you are testing. testing. It's yeah. not at all up to the employee. Right. Um, but then it was the fact that she continually yeah. refused and it kind of added to the fact of, if you think of it as a one request mm. over that entire mm. period, you can see why that would be quite reasonable. Mm. Um, and they really covered their bases there. It's really interesting. I was, um, as... As expected, I've been getting a lot of questions about mm. companies mandatory mandating vaccinations. Yeah. It's getting to the pointy end of that sort of area. Yeah, it's it's happening. People are putting dates on it. You know, it's it's mm. it's going on. And I found myself discussing this with someone this morning. And one of the things that I mentioned uh, that I believe because. Mm. For those out there, mandatory vaccinations for COVID, uh, we, in Australia, we have AstraZeneca and we have Pfizer. We've got two choices. It's also Moderna coming as well. It's coming. I don't think we're having it yet. Uh, I think it's about to get rolled right. in the next couple of Cool. Weeks, so. uh, yeah. And, uh, and this, this concept where you can, you know, companies can mandate or not mandate it. Now, there's a lot of discussion around this. 
But I'm going to step aside from the mandating mm. a vaccine and I'm going to move into this area of one and all mm. concept. Mm. Mm. Um, one of the arguments that keeps popping up for me, that is, um, from people calling, is, uh, but I don't work with this thing. So sort of that they're different to the rest of the Yeah, somehow that, you know, somehow the reason why the company is mandating a COVID vaccination is for a worker who is out there in the community mm. doing something. And the, the argument that keeps popping up for me is, I'm not that guy. Mm. That's, not me. That's not me. So why should it be me who's getting mm. vaccinated? Mm. And one of the things I mentioned this morning to somebody was, there's a, there's a precedent out there, essentially, that says, mm. one and all, people mm. in uh, the offices for energy resource companies still have the same mm. mandatory uh, breathalyzer tests, yes. everything, and they're not even touching a screwdriver, even. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and that's all perfectly legitimate to be able to do. Mm. So one of the things I mentioned was this kind of one and all concept. Yes, you might not be out there talking mm. to that person, but the company is making a company-wide policy that applies to all people. Mm. And there's a precedent, just like you've mentioned, mm. that allows for that. I'm not going to get into whether mandating vaccines is uh, lawful mm. or not. That's a it's a hot topic, and I don't necessarily mm. want 600,000 people writing into me, mm. but I, I think it's a, it's a genuine consideration, this one and all concept. Well, it's, it's right. Um, the Commission in this particular matter went into quite a lot of depth as to why we have the regime around. Um, the fact that you can basically turn that on full family to comply with the reason, lawful and reasonable direction. Um, and the Commission talked a lot about that where someone refuses these directions, and this is a quote and it's quite a nice one, which is, that person was an architect of their own dismissal. <laughs> I like it. An architect of, of their, their own, own dismissal. dismissal. And she, they were tying it all within the fact that it comes back down to disobedience. Um, and although we don't like it, I think as a society, um, there is a requirement for obedience. Mm. is to mm. fall into line mm. because that is what creates efficiency and mm. creates what a mm. company expects from its employees. Um, and this is was basically in line with what she did wrong in this particular matter, was just she was being disobedient. Yeah, being willfully mm. disobedient. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? We don't see adults in in jobs as obedient or not obedient. Mm. We see them as compliant or not mm. compliant. But you're right, there is this concept of doing what you're told. Yeah, yeah. I, I know it seems childish, but it's, it's important. And, and it's also, it feels very punitive. It does. Even though it, it isn't, mm. it feels very punitive. Just do what you're told. Mm. And uh, that must ring in a lot of people's ears. Oh, I, 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 I think it's a, it's definitely inflaming. Yes. But that's kind of the basis for that. Well, it's a bottom line statement, isn't mm. it? It, it? It could be polished, perhaps. But the I'm bottom sure, I'm sure the applicant didn't take that particular <laughs> line lightly. No, no. But you're right, there is this concept of obedience. And uh, yeah, if one enters a workforce that has a set of policies mm. they are essentially a set of rules mm. and just like any other set of rules that you 
you have to mm. comply with. We walk into restaurants and no one can smoke anymore. Yeah. You know, no matter how much you want to smoke inside that restaurant. You can't. You know, we, we get on the... Uh, I've really, uh, everyone knows I'm now an owner of several pets. This will be very it's symmetrical soon. Yeah, uh, but I found out recently that a dog can't go on the city cat without a muzzle. Really? Yeah. I'm sure plenty of people break that, but I don't know. That. I don't know because the way, way I found out was people have been kicked off. Oh, right. <laughs> so, so they do. They do so I think it, it does kick. Yeah. But, you know, again, um, you know, it's a rule. You have to obey it. Mm. Either you, it's, it's your ticket to play. Essentially, if you want to go on the if, city if you, cat, yeah, if you want to go on the city cat and with your dog, it needs to wear a muzzle. Mm. I'm kind of interested in how far this goes mm. because the concept of a muzzle, for a start, a lot of dogs don't like wearing them because they've never worn them before. And if the only time they wear it is on the city cat, they're going to become very agitated. So that's kind of an interesting concept. Mm. But my dog often goes in my backpack. Yes. And if the concept of wearing using a muzzle is so that other people can't be can't be interfered with by your dog because even on a leash mm. it can kind of you know yeah. it's going to be a lot harder on a backpack to nip at someone to, to go ah because <laughs> it doesn't have any any scope to do that so i wonder if if the rule is more i don't know i wonder, what the, I, I wonder is, why is it, the rule's in place as opposed to because it's not necessarily controlling the dog no it's just stopping that's right it's the bite they're obviously mm. concerned about mm. I wonder because uh, do you have to also be on a lead yes you have to so be leashed both does that mean I have to take my dog out of the backpack leash it up I sh I do you know what I mean I assume that the, the real like when you break it down the actual rule is they need to be restrained restrained in such a way it cannot interfere with another person because what about person. if they're in a cage well that's it there, there, there are lots of there are lots of kind of conceptuals for this mm. well it's kind of an interesting point but about you live really close to this fairy right i do i do um, do you ever take it do you ever see pets on it i'm going to say that i, I have seen pets and they weren't muzzled right because you very rarely see a pet muzzled ever mm. like they're the outlier like they are the real outlier. outlier yeah um, so you but I've also never seen a dog try and bite someone on the, on the speaker <laughs> or a bus or a train or anywhere. So, yeah. but you can see it happens once. I mean, this is public policy through and through, which is happens once you need, yeah. and it might be horrific at that one time yeah. and they have to put measures in place. This goes back to that. Who was it? Um, that high court judge that talked about putting signs everywhere, getting out of control. Oh, I... It's the it's the bridge jumping. Yeah. It's the bridge jumping. Yeah. I can't remember which, which high court. Judge. Yeah, it was the Chief Justice right that mm. said it. I can't remember which one that said it. But it's the same concept. Like if you if, if it happened once or it's happened twice or some particular uh, subset of the community mm. made a committee and, and mm. you know, got this over the line. Um, you know, where where's the stop? And it's a bit like mm. the sign thing. What we're talking about is there was there was a high court judge who had this situation where they needed to decide whether there should have been a danger sign. Yeah, falling you know, off the cliff sign. We see it all the time. You know, you go to to the pool. Yeah, and there's no jumping in the pool. Yeah, you know, it's basically the same sort of thing, but yeah. on the side of 
a bridge, I believe. Yeah, I, I think I think it was a cliff or edge like or something like that. Anyway, anyway, yeah. it's, a, it's quite an old case, and and the, the the statement, the broad statement that was made is you can't put a sign up everywhere. That's ridiculous. Yeah, because where does it stop? Yeah, where does it stop? And and it comes to the same thing. Mm. On Thursday, I took my dog down for a walkies, mm. um, and at the bottom of this hill, there is on Thursday there's a market, and I walked you through the market. Mm -hmm. eBay actually behaves very well. Uh, she just stays next mm. to me. She's kind of sniffs around, but she's not. She's not trying to eat all the yummy food. She's not jumping up on everything yeah, that's yeah, in its path. She just kind of mooches around and does mm. her thing. Looks just gross. Yeah, so she's a puppy, so she's a little bit naughty, but yeah. you know, generally she's pretty good. And she's not pooping in the middle or anything like that. But you can easily see. I, I, I walk my dog right through the market without oh. anybody telling me to keep that dog under control or put a muzzle on mm. it or I mean it helps when my dog is insanely cute mm. but what if it was a big dog would there be someone telling me to control that dog well is the dog carrying on yeah is it barking constantly shut up well it's, it's a stranger I mean I go to I go to the market all the time mm. on Saturdays and there is like I go to Newfound Park and there is dogs everywhere like it is you know, sort of one-to-one -one ratio yeah and you, funnily enough, you don't hear barking very often at all. You should try to get a dog. I'm not going to get a dog. Um, <laughs> for everyone out there, uh, Melanie's been begging me to get a dog. Not um, begging, perhaps, but encouraging. Strongly encouraging. Okay, um, strongly coercing. Um, <laughs> I should make it a rule for work, perhaps. Bring your own dog. Must have dog to work here. I have... Uh, I'm a very risk-averse person, so I find that just terrifying <laughs> that I have to care for something. Um, anyway, you're at, you're at the market. I'm at the market and you barely ever hear barking. barking. Despite the fact that there are like, of them. and you'd think it'd be barking mm, territory. Mm. But it's just you don't hear it very often. Which is kind of why I find the muzzle weird. Idea. Weird. Yeah. Like why there? I don't why yeah why that moment in time why not but, every other moment walking on South Bank for instance there's kajillions of people but I'm, I think we've actually spoken about it on this podcast before but I think that what if or sorry the what about mm. way of thinking about public policy is fraught with problems yeah, yeah. which is and, and we certainly found it with the the event uh, and all the lawmaking that came with that was what well, the idea that well how come this rule applies when it this is also a risk mm. over here mm. and you will inevitably find it everywhere where there are contradictions yeah but that's not how public policy works it isn't it isn't and that's not how rules get created no. either or you know telling us to do something and not do something it's it was just it's just interesting this kind of one and all concept mm. well when you tie it back to um the kind of employment sphere mm. You have to, you can't think of it like the, well, what about sort of situation? No. and Well, because, you know, this is a risk that they're trying to, you know, yeah. mitigate. But what about this completely separate yeah, risk? They're, they're completely separate. And matters. that's what I've been getting, essentially. Mm. A lot of people call me um, asking about these mm. mandatory things and they're looking for workarounds. Yeah. And, and I found myself saying things like, the answer is yes no matter what workaround you come up with, mm. unless there's a discriminatory reason for mm. it or a health reason. Mm. And uh, <laughs> someone actually said to me, um, perhaps I should change my religion then. Maybe it's a bit late to change my religion. And uh, to go that far, it's, it's just really interesting. It's coming back to this idea that it's 
in, behind all of it, it's about disobedience. Yeah, I mean, to ch- to to create, to all of a sudden have a faith in a higher power, or <laughs> to change how how you you view, you view that higher power, simply to avoid. It's. Well, I don't know. It's it, does, a, it's it a, doesn't pump. Really Past interesting, right? I mean, yeah. It, <laughs> it really doesn't. But it's just a really interesting way of the workaround. You know, yeah, everyone's like, trying to get the cake and eat it. I do like, like, when my brother was young, mm. he would call me up every night again. This is when he was in his teens and say, so Millie, is it true that a policeman can't arrest me if, it didn't, if he doesn't have his hat on? And, and he doesn't have his hat on. Hat on. There was all these kind of weird stuff going around the internet about what policemen could and couldn't do with or without their hats on. <laughs> was that ever a thing? I mean, if, if anyone out there knows, <laughs> please write in because surely that's never been. I have no idea. You know, if someone's not wearing the hat, he's not a policeman. I don't know. It must. I can only say it must go back to those days in England where they've got those weird rules. Like if you um, if you've got keys to the city, you are allowed. If you've got keys to the city of London, is in like official. Well, you know how someone presented gets by the presented the keys to London. Yeah. yeah, if you get presented the keys to London, you are then allowed to urinate in public as long as a policeman is standing in front of you. What? Yeah. <laughs> are you kidding? No, I'm not. <laughs> so this. <laughs> So, maybe, so they could just grab a policeman and say, I just... I've got the keys to the city. I would like to urinate, thanks. If you could just stand in front of me while I go ahead and do that. And when was this? So this has got to be sort of 1700, Got to come up. And, and it's the same... Um, here we don't use the word, but in England there are a lot of commons floating mm. around. Uh, they, it's common land, mm. yeah? Not owned by anyone. Apparently you can you can graze up to 10 sheep on your local common. What, without, without approval? Without or... needing a permit. Right. This kind of... I mean, I'd be really fascinated to... You know, in many respects, I'm glad we have the system we have in Australia, <laughs> which obviously Australia is not a very old country. So no. our, our system, even the oldest pieces of law... Yeah, stuff are, like piracy and stuff like that. Even then, it's quite... Um, modern if you know in the scheme yeah, of things. So, scheme of things. so it's still quite applicable it's not messy it's you know it doesn't have yeah. like historical problems yeah. um but i'd be fascinated to see what it's like in the places like england where some of your principles might be 400 years old oh it's crazy and just you know i think we've actually done a podcast on this as well which old laws that are now completely wild um don't tend to get removed no they still exist they don't get applied very often either but there isn't really a movement to stop it like to to remove laws they just kind of get added 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 so over 400 years there's some weird ones out there weird stuff yeah like urinating as long as the placement is right and you've got your 10 sheep (laughs) god forbid you have your 11 (laughs) no 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 (laughs) because am i right saying that's uh land which isn't even subject to the crown no it's common land so it was it was given to the common people so way back when Mm. you had people who were uh royalty the lords the ladies Mm -hmm. and so on and you had the commoners and And they're just everyday people who weren't fancy i Mm. guess (laughs) royalty royalty yeah 
and uh, those people weren't able to own. So there was land put aside to them that was common. They were, so the common people could hang out there and enjoy a park because there weren't any parks because right. all every, land was owned by somebody right. and you weren't allowed on it. Okay, so were they able to make money off this land? No. Was, no, no, no. That no, was no, the no, sticky no. point. It's, yeah, it? it's just, just land. Hence the 10 yeah. sheep rule. Yeah. You're not allowed to raise a flock and... That's uh, right. Yeah. And, you know, it has to be for everyone so you can't have too many and all this sort of bizarre. Okay. Thing. So, yeah. So, but I suppose over time those laws have probably changed but the fact that it's common land remains. Yeah, you hear it. I mean, um, Wembley Common, you know, mm. uh, um, uh, Wimbledon Common. I don't know if you've heard of the Wombles. No. No? No. For those of you who are my age, there was this uh, show called mm. The Wombles of Wimbledon and there was a song that got sung at the beginning of each TV show. Yeah. Um, the Wombles of Wimbledon, common are we? So what they were saying was, we are the Wombles of Wimbledon common. Mm. And it just goes on from oh. it goes on from there. And yeah, so there's commons everywhere in, in, in England. Oh, well, there you go. I didn't know that. And the Wombles used to live at Wimbledon common. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's in many respects, we, we don't really get that kind of cool stuff in Australia because, you know, we're pretty young. But, but yeah, because we're, we're a... We're a small country, young, young country. Yes. Yeah, we don't have these kind of old traditions. Yeah, I mean, in time. In having, time. Having said that, I mean, we're, we're young in terms of Western culture, but the Aboriginals have been around for more than 10,000 years. Mm. There's got to be... Crazy. Like stuff going on there. And there were, like, really loads of different... Yeah. And, but from what I understand, and I'm not Australian, so I didn't mm. grow up with this Australian cultural mm. kind of awareness... Uh, but I understand that the Aboriginal communities were like countries in their own spaces. Mm. They had their mm. own language, they had their own sense of uh, sovereignty in their own, mm. you know. So essentially it was like Europe for yeah. Australia. Yeah. Um, and, and when the Europeans came, they saw it as one giant country, whereas the Aboriginal people saw it as lots of separate tiny countries. Well, tiny is relative in Australia, but yeah, smaller. The size of Wales. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, smaller units of um, yeah countries. Mm, mm. I just wonder how um, Aboriginal people travelled between sovereign spaces. And from what I understand, that they kind of they had it was actually a lot like countries mm. where you'd be friendly with some so you might be able to go on a bit of a holiday to there okay. for a while and yeah. to mingle and then you know, go home. But then some was like an absolute no-no. Like, um, like Germany and France in the war. Yeah, it's like Eastern West Germany. You yeah. Know, like, don't go into our side. Not a Holiday not on ours, but you can go to France if you want. <laughs> not in my backyard. No, not in my backyard. <laughs> um, yeah. So you can see why, you know, when the Europeans came and kind of... It didn't make any sense to them. They just kind of wandered... The Europeans wandered everywhere when... It didn't make any sense to the Aboriginal no, people. No, and the fact that they kind of lumped it, like, you know, they make mm. a state, and the state is just arbitrary yeah. borders. 20 and a yeah. half countries. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. Um, just kind of cut a border, which just so happens to be a river, but not always. Sometimes yeah. it's just, like in parts of Queensland, just a, a dead straight, straight line. Because it was just convenient. Yeah. Um, which might go through, cut, yeah, yeah, cut through somebody else's country. 
which we now know is a problem uh, for certain border communities. Um, yes, I that's, do feel that. that's that's very true. See, we didn't we didn't. When I say we, I mean I'm from New Zealand, mm. and New Zealand is a treatised country. Mm. The treaty. Waitangi, yeah. that's right. So, I mean, there is arguments as to how that treaty was, that treaty came about, but we weren't a conquered country mm. as such. So we have a very good relationship with the indigenous mm. culture there. Um, you know, we, the New Zealand Western communities gave land to the Māori men mm. in the early 1800s, and that was shortly after the Europeans arrived. Mm. Um, just like um, right to vote, right to you know, own, mm. right to do everything, and just like every other country, the women were left out in the cold. Uh, women, but you were also the first to... We were also the first to give women suffrage. Albeit a hundred years later. It took a long time, but we were the first. But um, women's suffrage wasn't just about Western women's suffrage, it was about mm. all women's suffrage in New Zealand. So it's kind of interesting how a treatyized country um, interacts with the new mm. um, regime, or if you want to call it that, it's very difficult to be politically correct in these situations. But you know, the the, the Westerners came, created the new subset culture, and in a treatised country, how that interacts far better than in a conquered country. That is true. Um, it comes up from time to time the idea that whether Australia should be signing a treaty. Mm. Very similar. Um, my personal view is that's probably a bit bit late down the track to be doing that. Yeah, it's quite late. Um, but then people talk about why they didn't do it in the first place, um, when it potentially would have been prudent to do so. Mm, mm. And um, someone had a good point, and I can't remember who was talking about it, um, which was, who would sign... Because we just talked about that there might have been... And um, for everyone out there, look at um, what the Indigenous map of Australia is, and you mm. will see that it is hundreds yeah. of completely separate, yeah. basically, countries. Yeah. Um, who would sign this? Mm. Who sign? And the you know naturally, what ends up happening is a group, potentially ten mm. uh, people, end up signing it. And everyone, all humans are the same, and they will look out for their own interests. Mm. And ten people will decide the interest of yeah, thousands, a lot more, all with completely different. Um, yeah, I guess there's no good answer and, there. And, um, yeah in general but it's 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 just kind of fascinating to see how this all works and when last time we talked about um micro nations yes sovereign 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 uh a human being sovereign do you still call it a city state because it's not really a city state it's a when you call it its own sovereignty a sovereign nation yeah, yeah but you know how uh you sort of get city countries you know no you're like uh, monaco or the vatican yeah, yeah. But this is on even smaller. This is like three uh, houses. Yeah, a house in a village in somewhere. Who doesn't want to pay tax? Who doesn't want to pay tax? <laughs> Who doesn't? Or get, you know, internet or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean. I do, I do like this. I mean, I know I'm probably backtracking a little bit from last times, but I do like this concept of sovereign nations. It is. It is fascinating. But actually, since we last spoke, there was a kind of same but similar. Uh, Kind of case that came out and similar to the fact that apparently judges need to deal with this the idea sovereign of entity the sovereign, sovereign person, person. Uh, someone came up with a argument that apparently also gets dealt with a lot which is uh, the idea that they um, are not party to the Magna Carta 
um, so they they uh, come from a, a different line of ancestry which had nothing to do with the Magna Carta um, as presumably most don't unless, you're, unless you can track your ancestors back to I don't know 14th century England um, you you're not part you would not party to it well yeah you wouldn't be you're Portuguese yeah I doubt I doubt we've from we knew anything about it no <laughs> no in fact you would have had your own sovereignty going on oh, we would have had our own thing Let's which took, giant book, took power away giant from great the book crown. Of, yeah giant great book, book of everything yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah yeah and uh, again <laughs> apparently so how does that affect today though i mean well because the magna carta being the magna carta being uh, the beginning of law basically the beginning of law <laughs> so if not apply to me it doesn't it wasn't applying to my ancestors then so it now doesn't apply to me now <laughs> this idea that law it kind of goes to the sovereignty thing the idea that law is like a contract so do these people have driver's licenses and passports Birth certificates. Once a coop, always a coop. Um, you know, but what about the beginnings? You know, do they did, did they go to school and you know I just they did that as a as an agreement. Oh, I, I think it's this idea that you are following the law like an agreement, like we complying with the masses to make things simpler. Yeah. Um, so when it becomes inconvenient for them, they've decided that they're going the laws to don't apply. Don't it's not going to apply to them. Yeah. Well, apparently judges need to deal with this a little bit more often than you would appreciate. And uh, I like it. Alas, I mean, <laughs> hats off to the judges of Australia because that must be very interesting to have to deal with. I actually really like it. I'd love to sit in there and listen to an argument about this. I think it'd be hilarious. Just naturally, <laughs> they're self-represented. Just, just a, a nutty type of argument that will yes. never get up. No, no, Just clearly. never get up. I, oh, all power to them. I want to see it. All power to them. But um, on a different note, mm. um, so this morning um, I went to went to breakfast and I was talking to someone who's recently got involved with a um, incorporated association, so a not-for-profit. Um, and it's, I'll, I'll give a shout out, it's um, <laughs> with it, Without Barriers um, is the charity name. Okay. And what they do is... So they're on the board? Uh, they're about to become. Okay. Um, and they basically um, help refugees um, assimilate into Australia. Yep. They, um, specifically through soccer, is okay. their sort of sport. Yeah. Um, and they... Um, or football, football to all you people who are not Australian. Um, which I should really say, you know, me included. Um, and so what they do is they basically drive people, the kids to and from s s like training. It, I know it seems really simple. But no, it's but often, it's an engagement into a community. Yeah, their idea is that sport is one of the best ways of bridging through communities, which is, I think, which is true enough. here in Australia. Absolutely, um, but often some of the the barriers mm. to being able to do so um, is just really getting to train two or three times a week, yeah. going to the games. Yeah. Um, when both parents probably work. Yeah. I mean, they, they just can't. Yeah. Um, and they also provide financial assistance. Mm. Um, but she was telling me that this particular charity is going through a bit of a transition phase mm. where they are um, moving away from being quite small to kind of becoming a little bit more, um, how do I say, a little bit more 
formal. Yeah. Where they're moving away from just volunteers, mm -hmm. um, you know, really small. Now they need someone who's going to be managing it, so they might need an employee to do that. Yeah, yes. see what's going. Yeah. And they were kind of, they've come together and realized that one of the biggest problems that they face is this idea that associated corporations quite often can find themselves in trouble with their liability, um, not just with employment, but employment yeah. is one of the, the key areas um, because they just their good intentions. Mm. Good intentions can lead you into error quite mm -hmm. often. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I suppose I want to kind of, you've worked a lot with, with associated corporations. You do. So I was sort of wondering if you have any experience where good intentions at the start, like you might employ someone who, um, you know, maybe it's a bit of, you know, they're, they're doing it for the right reasons. You know, that it's both an employment relationship and, um, you know, potentially they used to be a volunteer. And yeah. Now they're doing it because they like. Some of, the, some of the big problems that arise mm -hmm. is I notice that um, corporate associations want to get really good workers, so they tend to overpay. What do you mean? Well, if, like, for instance, You've got a CFO um, in a organisation that has 50 people. You might pay them between 120 and 150 thousand yeah. dollars. Uh, these organisations might have five people, and they'll pay the CFO 120 to 150 thousand. Despite the fact that they kind of responsible for less. Yes. Yeah, and you know, there's there's a lot less going on. Mm. You know, and they. That creates a situation where, um, can create a situation of entitlement. Mm. And the more you pay someone, the more they feel that they're important. Mm. And that can create um, some issues when it comes to the outcomes the organisation is trying to achieve. Mm. Like, you call a lawyer up with an employee that's getting up to mischief, and one of the first things we ask is, do you want to fire them? Yeah. And most incorporated associations are there to do some type of good. Mm. So they've all got workers there who are super, like, dedicated to yeah, something. The, the, they're not just there for the money, they're yeah. there for the cause. But the moment you go corporate, you'll, you get a different type of individual mm. working there. You get someone who's there to work to get money to have fun instead yeah. of to work to a higher Damn. cause. So yes. there, be, there becomes, there becomes a, a situation where that worker may not have the same values mm. as the incorporated association. And the bigger you get, the more of those people you have in your, in your organization, yeah. the harder it is to stay on, on target. Mm. So that, that happens. And it often happens because you're paying them a lot of money. Mm, um, yeah. I know that sounds weird, but the more you pay someone, the more that person feels that they are more right. More often. Yeah. More often. And if they are not aligning their values to the organisation, you've got someone in there who feels that they are right a lot. Mm. Without aligning to the organisation, there's going to be conflict in a way that you can't foresee. Also, associated corporations start with volunteers who all have a mission. They've all got a goal, and yeah, that goal is point. the same goal. And uh, so you get less theft. You get mm. less uh, you know, bullying and harassment and stuff mm. like that. The moment you start getting bigger and having those employees, you've now got a whole set of dynamics coming on board. A whole bunch of problems, yeah. Yeah, so it's... Because people, you're moving away from 
individuals, I'm not going to say employees, but yeah. individuals who are mission-based to being and there, there's, profit there's a, there's based. A trust, a yeah, bit. and there's a trust um, proposition. Like, corporate associations tend to get funding from other, organi- from other mm. places and uh, how that funding is accounted for, signed off mm. on, so on and so forth, tends to be a bit of a, an honours scheme mm. at the early days. Yeah. And uh, that can filter through when they get bigger and bigger. And there's a fair amount of theft that goes on yeah. inside those organisations. Because there isn't the robust... An, yeah, the, the honours scheme hasn't played through mm. with, with, in the corporate culture. Sips in. It, so it can become quite a... It's a tricky sphere to work in, I think. And, and how to wind it back. Is actually really difficult what too. Do you mean, so well, w- once you've got an organisation that they've got a CEO or CFO has been stealing, mm. you've got um, payroll that's been doing something inappropriate. You've got a couple of workers who, instead of going out in the cars doing what they need to be doing, mm. they're they're off to the um, uh, watching movies yeah. and stuff like that. Um, you've got a board mm. instead of a CEO or yeah. something, and all those board members are converts to the cause yeah they weren't there at the start and and they're not there at the start but they're all converts to what the cause is and it's very hard to get them to be mean mm, you know mm. let's fire that guy who went to the movies this afternoon no 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 we, that's not the sort of organization we are you know it's not us so it's it's actually really hard to get them to see the world in the, the with the set of lenses they need mm. to see the world in and also continue to maintain the values. Yeah, that, that, and she actually mentioned this, that mm. um, now that they're moving into a bit more structured sort of area, um, there's a real concern that they're gonna lose sight, the of, what, sight of what's yeah. important. Yeah. Um, because unfortunately, in order to continue to grow and to become, mm. provide more of what they were doing, there's no ways of doing it in the way that they were doing it before. They have to, become more structured, more corporate. And you can see why that, you know, you start to sort of lose track of really why you're doing it in the first place, which is to provide, you know, free Space mission, for you know. young people to go out there and meet other Australians mm. in a way that they can communicate without language. Yeah, um, yeah, because you are, what ends up happening is you try and look for money. Yeah. Money becomes, because you need money to provide the service. Yeah. But if that's all you're, striving for you kind of forget why you're trying to get the money in the first yeah. place um but it, i think it's a really interesting sort of area but i think you're right i think it's fraught with danger really hard really really hard, really hard. um yeah. yeah i take my hats off to to everyone that volunteers because there are you know most of the board members will be volunteers and you know there are a lot of people doing a lot of yeah. a lot of good work um but yeah i you do see it unfortunately just there's always Look, incorporated associations need more help more often. It's just yeah. they don't, they actually don't know when that happens because the board's only meeting once every two months. They're doing this, they're doing that. There's no one there driving that help. Mm. So, you know, when the accounts get out of control, there's no one there going, What's going on, guys? What's that's, going on, guys? Because they're only looking at it every two months. Yeah. Um, you know, when employees are getting up to mischief, there's no one saying, Well, let's get, mm. some, let's get somebody in to fix that. Uh, so it does get a little bit left to the waysides. Mm. Um, and look, the other problem is you might have board members who are just not suited to deal with those sort of complexities. 
Mm, like they're mean? essentially incompetent at their jobs because now their job has changed. Because they're not. Because that what they come from maybe a different area. Where yeah, well, they've they've been a, they've been a board member from the from the conception stage. It's now mm. turned into an organisation with fifty employees. Mm. Uh, they need to make decisions on risk advice, ri mm. risk issues, and they're just not. It's like asking me to give advice on financial matters. You wouldn't know where to begin. I wouldn't know to begin, but I'm a board member now. I have to give it. Right. Yeah. So. So, and that's my job. So I wing it. Yeah. And yeah. so I become incompetent. And, yeah. job, and so the overall leadership is completely out of, out of step. Yeah. And, and I've seen that happen too, just the board members are not suited to, to have that role and make those decisions. Mm. And you know, they, they, they bring friends in and yeah, you know. Yeah, nepotism is more of a problem. There's, yeah, it, it, it's a kind of a really interesting space mm. and uh, sort of umbrellaing it all is all this funding has requirements and yeah. and and rules around it yeah it's not just like when you raise capital through a normal company where it's pretty unconditional yeah got um, money hope a let's use it just make sure you give me a return yeah um whereas yeah if you're getting funding from a lot of them come with um you know sort of good faith there's a lot of requirements and yeah requirements yeah and, and like that. That you've got to show that you spent that dollar on the thing that you said you would and not on something else and if you've got board members who don't really understand how that works, mm. how do you how do you show your funding later? But if you kind of take it even a step further, the same issues happen with business as well. Um, absolutely, growing pains. Yeah. Oh look, it's it's absolutely true. Managers uh, improve a employee they like mm. instead of the employee that's suited to the next mm. job. Uh, you know, mates promoting mates. Uh, it's it's a massive problem in Australian business, but it is kind of unique to Australia. Is it? This kind of concept, and, and I've had the privilege of being able to live in a lot of countries, and this concept of managers and kind of mollycoddling a particular employee because they like them and mm. then raising them up and, and promoting them. So you've got mates promoting mates. Yeah. It's a very Australian concept. Um, this, and I think it it's born from this concept of mateship, yeah. and everybody wanting like every Australian wants to be friends. <laughs> yeah. And you can't literally cannot be friends with your subordinates, and yeah. but that's not a concept that Australia has embraced. Yeah, well, how often do we, um, you know, we see issues where um, you know there's a conflict in the workplace. There's conflict, but it's. But how do you how do you deal with it? Because the guy goes out and has coffee, and he's gone to Christmas dinner, and he's they're babysitting each other's children. And how do you fire someone who's doing that? And Most of the time and that is constant. And when the next person complains, they go, "Well, what about what about him? What about them? Yeah, look what he just did." And what are you going to do with that next person who you aren't friends with, but does the same problem? You know, you can see where you're going to land yourself into trouble. It's a massive problem in Australian business. Um, I, I, over the sort of 17 years I've lived in Australia, yeah. I've seen it change. It's got on more, and Australians will say this this is to the worse. Mm. Um, it's got this more corporate feel. There's there's far more, um, you know, separation between manager and employee uh, than there used to be. Um, and you think people think that's to the worse? I think people, I think workers will say that's to the worse because... They also want their manager to be mates with them.
because it's easier to get that manager to do what you want if they like you. But surely your average person can see that there is two equations there. You're either in or you're out? No. Does everyone just assume that they're always going to be the in? Yeah, and when you're out, I and mean, we see this a lot mm. actually when we do um, disciplinary matters, mm. what we have is a worker that sits kind of mid-range mm. level who has a manager who's supporting them. Mm -hmm. The moment that manager's job is under the spotlight, yeah. they become a ghost. And they're like, and what we hear is, bloody hell, I used to go out to lunch with that manager. They, they've come on bike rides with me. They've mm. been to my house for dinner. And now look at them. I've been mates for them for 20 years, and they've just left me out in the cold. Yeah. And I mean, we hear that constantly. Or, yeah. Constantly. It's kind of context to most and, disputes. And so people saying that their manager's keeping a distance from them before that happens it's not nice for them. They want to be friends with their manager. Because do you think it's because they feel safe? I guess when that's maybe that's that mateship concept. Maybe I mean I've not been Australian. I'd, mm. It's hard for me to understand the the, the pros the yeah. of mateship. I can see a lot of cons on it, but there's the, to, to really feel the pros of mateship, I think you have to be born here and have friends and grow up in Australia, go to the same school, have mates in that school, you know and because it, it, it feels very exclusionary as an outsider. It does. I mean, some of the pros might be that um, it encourages loyalty. certainly um, does. It uh, encourages, if we're going to take it's all one big secret, it actually encourages obedience. Uh, potentially not for the yep. right reasons, which I suspect happens. Yeah, it's that peer pressure concept. Yeah, um, yeah. it's not being um, compliant for the sake of it. It's being mm. compliant because that person is yeah. asking which yeah and I really like that person so I'm gonna do what they say say what you will about the motivations mm. behind that because it's potentially mm. not the right motivations yeah. um, and it, it kind of breaks down a few of the barriers um, okay the only problem is not you can't be mates with everyone can't be mates with everyone and it's human. yeah and it's also very exclusionary because if you are not in, you will never be in yeah there's no way to get in if you're not and, and that can be quite challenging for new people mm. in, the, in, a, in a space. But yeah, look, in terms of corporate associations, they have all those issues yep. and more so because there's also this morality behind it. <laughs> trying you get everyone to buy into being, it. Being, is, yeah, just really drinking that Kool-Aid if you want to take a negative approach yeah. to it and really getting involved in that. So yeah, I think, um, I think like we've always said, Australia's got some growing to do. It does have some growing stuff. I like it. I like seeing it. It's it's not a mature country, and we have issues that that are unique to us. Yeah, are unique to us, and I really like working in that space. Mm. You know, I like being part of the solution rather than well. You can see us. You can see Australia getting moving. Yeah, absolutely. It's moving in a direction. Yeah, um, and it's not kind of getting muddled down like no. some countries. I think are ones who are mature have nowhere to go. Mm, so kind of the, growing, the, the the issues they get are really circular yeah. and they don't really get yeah. anywhere so it's really nice to have a country that's still moving forward moving up getting moving better, moving across better. and it's yeah it's fun it's fun to be a part of the solution there you go thank you everyone for watching or listening to the lawcast for today christy santana and melanie thorley are going to be with you in a couple of weeks time see ya see you later